This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net to Sanderson, to Orr! First time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, great Scott. Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm a damn the Skate Pod on WEI. Welcome into episode 125 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Crew and Scott McLaughlin. Six and one are the Boston Bruins after their three to one victory over the Dallas Stars. David Pashnak, Taylor Hall, Patrice Bergeron score the goals for the Bruins, who seem to be slowly but surely, despite the winning record, they're starting to butt- button down defensively now. Yeah, and this was, uh, you know, I think they'd already proven that they can win high-scoring games. Uh, they also lost one very high-scoring game. But, you know, the, they really haven't, through the first couple weeks of the season, hadn't had these kind of low-scoring games, you know, where they had to really be on it defensively. Um, and now they've had a couple of them recently, you know, the, the 2-1 win over Anaheim. Uh, and now a 3-1 win over Dallas, and Dallas came in uh, tied for the fewest goals allowed in the NHL. They were only giving up two per game. And, you know, you thought maybe, like, the Bruins might have an edge here because the Stars were playing the second night of a back-to-back. But I thought the Stars played really well, and they were a team that had been playing really well coming in. Um, Clearly, you know, a strong defensive team that doesn't give much up with a great goaltender at the back and Jake Ottinger, who's off to an incredible start. So you knew that, you know, this was probably a game where the Bruins weren't going to be handed much and we're going to have to be tight defensively because if they, uh, you know, let things open up the way they had, they had in some of their earlier games this season, you know, two or three goals from Dallas might've been enough to, to win that game. So uh, very encouraging to see them only give up one. And I thought, you know, how, like, did they? I don't think the Bruins had their best game overall. Clearly, offensively, they kind of struggled to create chances. But even when they kind of got caught in their own zone for a bit, they weren't giving up a lot of high quality chances. And when Dallas did get around the net, Linus Allmark was there again as he has been all season um you know to clean up anything that got through yeah it it was it was interesting because 
after the the Anaheim game, things seemed like they're really coming together. Um, n- not that this was a bad game, but it just looked a little bit more like fragmented, maybe is a way to put it, where like things weren't as smooth as they had been against Anaheim. But the good news is like Linus Allmark hasn't shown any bit of a drop off at all, um, and he he he's been great three games in a row. Uh, I guess the whole season, but they've really decided to lean on him and net. There's not really a question right now who's their number one goalie. Um, we we will see, you know, Swayman again. Either I don't know if Coach said yet, but Thursday or Friday because there's a back to back one at home and then one on the road. So I assume we'll see him again. But the funny thing is, I don't know if you caught this, Scott, but um, when. Olmark, we talked to Olmark after the game. He he like shut down the questions pretty early on because he was just like, I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about the team. And we're all sitting there like, well, I had a question about you. So this is going to be difficult. And I like just didn't even bother to ask him a question today because I was just like, all right, I guess that's how it's going to be today. Because he, he just wanted to talk about, you know, he, he more wants to talk about the tandem than he wants to talk about himself. Like he won't he won't give himself credit at all. Yeah, and I don't think he's ever really been comfortable talking about himself. You're, you're right; like he he will very quickly deflect to to teammates. And then, like then, when he got asked about, um, you know, the defense in front of him, or when he got talking about guys blocking shots, like he lights up, and you know, he he loves talking about that. But yeah, obviously, you know, guys just. Uh, a bit uncomfortable talking about himself. Um, we'll just have to figure out a way to word the question where it's like, you got to kind of just like <laughs> construct it the right way where he thinks it's about like, he can try to answer for both. I don't know. I was sitting there trying to do like mind gymnastics on how I was going to ask him the question and that I couldn't figure out a way that I thought he would actually answer it. Cause he don't answer the ones he doesn't want to answer. Yeah. He was definitely a rock in this game and of the six Bruins victories this year, he was in that four or five of them. And I think that not that we didn't think that Olmark was capable of a start like this. I just think we all anticipated a little bit more of a split in that, but Jim Montgomery has tipped his hand pretty early on that he's going to, he's going to ride the hot goalie at least, at least for now when, when points are at a premium for the Bruins with, with key guys out. And to that, to that last point, it's a, um, you know, if this was a Dallas Stars podcast, I would be sitting here saying how much I applaud their effort on the second of a back-to-back against a strong team in a, in a tough road building. I thought Dallas played a great game. So this is the Bruins podcast, however. So I'm going to I'm gonna talk about the Bruins and how important that, you know, they, they're off to the 6-1 and one start, and I believe it's their best their best start uh, in, French, in the last 50 years for the franchise or something like that. I think it's maybe I don't know, I'm kind of spitballing. I saw something on Twitter vaguely about maybe it was early seventies or something like that. I don't really know, but yeah, I was going to say like that 70, 71 team comes up a lot in all these like record starts. So my guess is like, if there's one that's, that's close, it's probably that one. Yeah. Yeah. That was, so... that was famously the team that set like every offensive record and then ran into Ken Dryden in the playoffs. Yes. Yeah. So it's just ironic that we're, we're we're discussing a start like this when the big storyline all offseason was, man, the Bruins need to get off to a good start with the, with these injuries to McAvoy and, and, and Marshand. And it's just, you know, it's a testament to, 
the leadership in the room that that is on the ice right now uh, with Bergeron, starting with Bergeron. But and I, I I brought this guy up to you guys before we started recording, but it's just the 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 deadline acquisition last year by Don Sweeney to get Hampus Lindholm. It's paying dividends. It paid dividends last year. He he improved their blue line, but injuries kind of plagued him in the in the postseason. And the Bruins just, as we talked about, they just weren't they weren't Stanley Cup deep last year. They were they were deep enough deep enough up front to make a to make noise. But we all knew deep down that that team wasn't capable offensively to go to the promised land. But nonetheless, it was still a good acquisition last year. But this year, you the Bruins aren't six and one with though with a Hampus Lindholm in the lineup because he is the number one caliber defenseman. Now, not in the Boston Bruins, he's not because of a kid named Charlie McAvoy, but his presence has just been so important to this team so far out of the gate. Yeah, and I would say, like, to your to your point about the team being deeper this year, they're not only deeper, but I feel like we're getting the best efforts out of players that we haven't seen in a while. Like, we're getting efforts out of guys that we didn't even see last year one time. Like, Nick Felino looks like a different player. Um, Taylor Hall, I think right now, the last three games has shown things that he hasn't shown, um, when he's, since he's been here, uh, Connor Clifton, uh, Derek Forbert, like you're like, you can list guys that are having better stretches this first few games of the season than they had all of last year. So, um, you know, it's, it wasn't just the fact that they have more guys they can lean on. Like they have so many defensemen to try to chip in while McAvoy's out, but they're also getting performances from some guys that were clearly um, aware of the fact they're going to have to pull the rope a little bit harder and make up for some of the time, like in particular Clifton, just because, um, you know, I, I talked to him yesterday and he, he kind of gave me some insight into how he mentally was preparing for a season, knowing he wasn't going to have McAvoy there on defense. He was just saying, like, he realized how important it was that he just cleaned up his game and that you see what the result is. He was just trying to figure out a way to uh, basically be a factor in the reason why they're able to, to swim instead of sink while the injuries exist. Yeah, I mean, there were times last year that, you know, we questioned whether Forbert Clifton c- could be a good enough third pairing. And at times last year, they weren't. At other times, they really were. You know, I thought, like, especially down the stretch in the playoffs, they, they were playing pretty well. Um, this year, they've basically been the second pairing. And they've been a good one. Like, they've made the most of their minutes. And they haven't looked out of place, both going, you know, above 20 minutes, really most nights so far this season. Um, it, it's, you know, like that, that's a pairing before the season we would have looked at and been like, okay, that is what it is. But, you know, ideally you upgrade at least one of those spots. Like I remember thinking, you know, is Clifton he, he, an every night player on this team still? Does Forbord stay in every night just because of his penalty killing? And it's like, they've both earned every night spots just by how they're playing, period. Like, they're they're stepping up and they've, you know, uh, Brian, like, you're obviously right. Like, Hambus Lindholm, you know, sets the tone from the top. And it's like, you have that solid number one, you know, everything. At least you don't need someone to try to step up to that level because you already have that guy there. But with how they've 
you know, how guys have gone in and out of the lineup early in the season, Grizzly missing time early, then Carlo missing time. Like they've needed someone to be able to handle consistent top four minutes. And both of those guys have been able to do it. And, you know, obviously ideally in the long term, like that still ends up being your third pairing, but it, it's great that they've both gotten off to the starts that they have. And, you know, I think that Derek Forbert has been awesome. I, I've really, really come around on him as a player, but it's important to you mean remember. Princess Peach? Yeah, <laughs> Princess Peach. That was, that was good. That was, that was a funny, uh, for those who may not have seen it, the Bruins, the Bruins dress up for their annual visit to Boston Children's Hospital. And Mario Kart characters were the theme. And Derek Forbert drew the short straw and had to dress as Peach. <laughs> Which is which was very funny. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you, but no, 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 no. It's that no, was that was. I enjoyed those pictures you guys were posting. Um, and I also th- was it you, Bridget, who asked a question about having to stop for gas in it or something? Or was that somebody? Oh no, he just brought that up on his own. He was just like you could see him come to the realization that he needed to go somewhere before he went to the hospital, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh, I can't wait for the looks I'm gonna get." Yeah. Um. No, but um, what I was saying was I'm I am very happy with the play of Derek Forbert. He's he's been an absolute rock for them in this role. But it's important to remember why he got off on the wrong foot with with fans in Boston, and it wasn't really any fault of his own. If you remember correctly, last year Bruins fans were a little bit bitter heading into the regular season because not necessarily the Bruins' fault that David Krejci left. And by necessarily, I mean, it wasn't their fault. He made a decision to leave, but it left a hole in their offensive lineup. So fans were like, well, we know this team doesn't have the one, two punch up the middle that they've had in the past to compete for the, for the Stanley cup. So there was that aspect of it. And then there was the aspect of who's going to play on McAvoy's left side. And Don Sweeney's big free agent acquisition was Derek Forbert. And we said at the time, like Don, Derek Forbert is not the guy. He is not your top left defenseman. So when Derek Forbert came into the team last year, he was kind of battling uphill to win over the hearts of Bruins fans because he was kind of unfairly placed in an inappropriate position in the lineup. But as time has progressed and they've acquired Hampus Lindholm, he has um, he has he's he's in a much better fit. To, he, he's he's fitting into the puzzle perfectly on the back end right now and. He is really thriving in, in this shutdown, conservative, stay-at-home defenseman. This is exactly what the Bruins need on their third pair. It's just that when they brought him in, they were trying to sell us this bill of goods about how he's going to be in the, with McAvoy. And we just knew that that wasn't, that wasn't realistic for the Bruins if they wanted to be a, a top team. But in this situation, with Clifton on the third pair, ultimately, and you have a top four of McAvoy, Lindholm, Carlo, and Grizzlick. Now you're now you're really cooking with gas. And now that I bring up Brandon Carlo, I'll throw it to you guys to discuss anything I just mentioned. You can go off of that as well, but also discuss Brandon Carlo's return to the lineup tonight. Yeah, I thought Carlo was good. Um, you know, he was he was physical. He was involved in battles. Like I didn't notice him shying away from anything, and I thought he just played well overall. Like he he was clean. He was moving pucks. He cleaning up the front of the net when he had to, especially late. Um, Jim Montgomery said at, after called, uh, called him a beast tonight. And I feel like that's 
pretty close to accurate. Like it, not it was, a tiger. It was, no, we didn't call him a tiger. No, no tiger references tonight. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, I think you're always worried. One, just coming back, missing time in general. Like you think timing might be off or whatever. But also coming back from yet another concussion for Brandon Carlo, the, you know, as far as we know, the fifth documented concussion he's had and since spring of 2017, um, you know, you worry about like, is he gonna, and it would, by the way, like it would be understandable if he were, you know, a little uh, anxious or, you know, maybe shying away from contact or whatever, you know, getting himself out of harm's way. And I didn't really see that. Like, it seemed like he went out and played and, like, felt confident in, in what he was doing and, um, you know, made the plays he had to do and obviously, you know, did stare. He took one uh, pretty good – it was actually more of a collision that I wondered. I was like, okay, like, keep an eye on how he responds. And he was Yeah, fine, was so. that the one behind, behind the net? Like, kind of took it in the shoulders – um, I think the one I'm thinking of was like out by the blue line. It was, okay. was kind of like a few different, a couple people came together and he ended up going down pretty hard, but he, he was fine. Yeah, I, I think so to your point that like he wasn't playing timid and that he, you know, wasn't shying away from, from contact and whatnot. I feel like at a certain point, because we, we talked about it, you know, this is his fifth concussion at some point after the second, third, fourth concussion, he I'm sure either someone told him or he made the decision on his own that either you're, 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 you know, you're so afraid of getting another concussion that you're done. Like you're just straight up done putting yourself on the ice at all, or you have to accept, or like you're going to accept the fact that you have to play a certain way and you can't go out there and just um, play scared. So at some point he realized that, or if he wants to be effective as an NHL player, that kind of stuff can't creep into his game. Um, unfortunately, you know, he's had to think about things that way. Um, and he did, he did play well. I, I mean, it's always going to be a question mark for him, whether or not he can stay healthy um, for a stretch of time, especially, you know, I feel like it's always right at the beginning of the playoffs or the end of the regular season that he's, going through something again after, you know, a long year. So I just always worry about his health. He's kind of gotten that stigma of, you know, a guy that is always, always um, taken out of the game. I mean, as a Bruins fan, you see on social media or wherever the projected lineups going into the game. And as a fan, you're like, this is great. Carlos back in the lineup. Awesome. But on a human level, to your point, Bridget, you just can't help but feel that he's kind of playing with fire a bit just because it's so early in the season. And concussions, you get you, you get one, you get the second one a bit easier, the third one a bit easier. They start to snowball a little bit. So, yeah, there's just like a kind of sick feeling in my stomach that – Yeah, and hockey's not a sport – yeah, hockey's not a sport where you can avoid contact, right? It's not a sport where that that's possible. And you can't protect yourself from from every play. I mean, some guys are dirty. Some some plays are just going to be bad timing. Like it's you never know what's going to happen. So, if you're if you're deciding that you're you want to keep playing hockey, like you have to if you're him go into it 
knowing fully well, like full well, the consequences and the fact that he still has to try and keep it out of, keep himself from getting any bad habits from trying to be, you know, trying to play a little different to protect himself. Um, Yeah. Well, like freak, freak things happen um, over the course of a sport, a contact sport in particular, but in general, if I'm him, you just need to keep as often as you can, you need to keep the play in front of you. Right. So, you know, when you're, when he's going to retrieve pucks, you try to wait as long as, as you can to turn and retrieve it. And then when you do turn, retrieve it try to just try to keep your angles in place like he needs to he needs to just not have his back to the play and he needs to be especially another place where where defensemen are vulnerable and you see it every single game and forwards don't they usually don't make this hit but how many times over the course of a game do you see the defenseman take the net and there could be a forward for checking on the blind side and kind of get you now the the game has kind of changed and you don't see forwards making those runs at defensemen as much anymore but that's a play where you need to be very aware uh, because sometimes the the net and the the goaltender, like Linus Allmark is like six, four, right. On skates, probably six, five, six, six, the net, the goaltender, that, that stuff can blind you. So I would say just keep the play in front of you and, and, and use your angles best you can. If you're Brendan Carlo. Yeah. And he had, there was one play uh, Tuesday night where he was going back on a puck and did kind of like for a, a second to have his, back to the four checker and he wound up making like a kind of a nice spin, like little juke um, to get out of the way of the four checker. And, but like that, that was other than like the other collision I mentioned, that was like one moment where I was like, go oh, let like, let's see what happens here. And he made like a really nice, like nimble move just to kind of spin off. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously tough to like, Talk, talk about concussions or, you know, what he should or shouldn't do. Like I saw, you know, I saw some tweets of people saying like they feel like he, he might need to be protected from himself. Like does someone else need to step in and, and be like, hey, maybe it's time to step away for a little longer. Um, I don't th- I don't think Brandon Carlo is the type of player who just like, you know, I don't even want to like hear about this stuff or like what my future is. Like, I just want to get back out there in the ice. I don't think he's like that. Like, I think he is pretty thoughtful about this stuff and he's, you know, like I remember a couple of years ago after the, that Tom Wilson hit, like he was very reflective of like what he went through and what it meant and you know, what his future was. And even uh, on Monday when we talked to him, you know, he talked about like off ice considerations and how, you know, like he has a, he has a kid now, like he wants to be a reliable father and husband and friend and all that. Like, I don't, you know, it's easy to say like, uh, you know, five concussions, like that should be it. It, you know, maybe just call it a career, but I think, you know, he's very aware of all that. And I, I think he, you know, it does seem like this one fortunately was very mild. He felt good, pretty soon after, you know, went through all the steps and made steady progress. Didn't have any setbacks. Cause I remember like the, that one with, after the Wilson hit, he, he talked about how like he would have a few good days and then some bad ones. And it was like very inconsistent. It wasn't a linear recovery where he just kept getting better and better. Um, 
this this time it seems like it it was pretty much like that. Like he felt fine three days after and continued to feel fine, and there wasn't a setback. So, um, you know, I think like just concussions and sports in general. You know, we're all keep learning more and more. And I think everyone knows that the long-term effects of concussions aren't good, but just have them talk to Mark Savard. I mean, like you, you Mark Savard is someone who went through this in a very severe way um, where he still, I, I believe he, I mean, he's out of the public eye, stepped away from hockey almost completely. Um, but he's, well, fortunately he's back now coach he's back but he's yeah. like you never really hear from him too much um and he for a long time was dealing with that the impact of those hits that he took over and over again he's one of the ones you think of the most severe in hockey that um you know really changed how his life was after the game so I don't know if you want to talk to him if you're Brendan Carlo and see like what could happen or you just don't even want to like think that way well I think to Scott's earlier point I think Brendan Carlo is a very very aware individual um very self-educated I think correct me if I'm wrong I think he is the Bruins rep for the player association players yeah. association yeah. so i mean he's he's very in tune with everything going along going on behind the scenes regarding you know um you know the pa and, and their cba and just you know especially when it comes to health and whatever and i i don't think i don't think he would put himself in i think he probably is trusting his body here and i think you know but it's just a matter of you just you just don't you just hold your breath hoping that nothing else um, happens to him which is you can't guarantee that in, 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 in hockey. So um, we'll get to the game as well that, that took place tonight. I, I do want to finish off the defense conversation with the newest member of the Nesson play-by-play broadcast booth, and that is um, Charlie McAvoy, who joined Jack and Brick in the first period. And uh, – and, um, and they talked about his uh, his potential t- uh, timeline, um, return timeline to the lineup. So, Bridget, I know you picked up on something when, when he talked about that. Yeah, so he when Jack and Brick asked him that, he kind of gave a political answer. But what you could you could read into it a little bit um, where he's at in his progress for you know when he can return and the the timetable was given like a range originally like late November or, you know, to, into December, like it at the, at the earliest late November. And he, what he said to the guys was that he's feel he's feeling good. Um, and that, you know, everything is on track and what it sounded like to me was that he would be hitting that earlier part of the timeline. So, um, a, you know, a, a decent recovery time for him would probably put him right in that late November, or maybe even right around Thanksgiving, you know, um, kind of timeline because he didn't want to tip his hand too much, but he said everything's been going really well for him. Feels good. And we saw him skating at practice as well. And, you know, he seems to be right in. Um, obviously, he's not taking the contact, but he's he looks the same as he did last season when he's practicing with the guys at the same speed and, and whatnot. I mean, he's still getting time doing that stuff. So I would say what you could – kind of glean from it was just that he won't be taking 
too long to get back. It'll be a November comeback, most likely not looking at that longer time into December. Um, if you can read into what he said. Yeah, it, it's weird. Like it, I feel like it's harder to tell or to take anything away from some of these practices and like when guys get on the ice in certain jerseys because uh, for a while, you know, like under Cassidy, it was like when guys got clear to practice in regular jerseys, it usually meant they were like a few days away from being ready for a game. But now, and maybe it's just because it's it was off-season surgery, so it's a little different than, like, an in-season injury. But, I mean, like, Grizzly was practicing in a regular jersey for, like, almost three weeks before he got into a game. And Marshan now has several practices in a regular jersey under his belt, which, you know, originally he had the same timeline as McAvoy, late November, early December. And it sounds like that is probably still his timeline, but it's like it's kind of odd that he's going to be practicing, you know, in like a, in a regular jersey and doing more and more regular drills, but might be doing that for a month. Um, yeah, I think Marsha might be a little ahead of McAvoy just because he is out of the non the non contact jersey already. I would um, call his like the medium contact <laughs> jersey because he usually yeah. wears like usually wears that Merlot and like so you can kind of catch it out of the like, yeah okay which, maybe don't hit that's, him yeah it's become like the extra forward color it's not no longer the fourth line color it's the uh, the fifth line fifth line exactly just just to confirm um they're both in non con uh, they're both out of non contact jerseys right now right they're both no out- McAvoy has still been in, only in non contact. Yeah, it's he's in the yellow. He's in the yellow, which is the non-contact. He wasn't, a, he wasn't in, a, in a in a black jersey today at practice. I thought I saw a picture of him in a black jersey. Uh, he might have been today, just because it was an it was an optional pregame skate. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, pregame skate's probably a different a different tone out there. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um. Yeah. No, that's. Uh. I think I think it's good to know that when these guys come back, it's. Conditioning won't be an issue with them. They've been skating since the summer uh, in in different capacities. It's just a matter of like like I, I you know in the summer they were they were working with the skills coaches and stuff. I don't think they were bagging them, but when they do return to the lineup, they will have been skating for a few months. It's just going to be a matter of shaking off the rust. But their conditioning should be there. Which yeah, is and not- I saw I, I saw Marshawn make a move at practice yesterday that was just like such a skilled move around his defender that it was like, okay, yeah, you you could be a defenseman trying to step up on the guy and he's gonna just make this last second move, uh, you know, stick handle right by you. And he, I mean he was doing that in practice already. So I don't obviously they're gonna be coming in where other guys have been warming up for you know over a month and they've had you know their chance to get their legs under them but these are two guys that you don't really worry about that too much with yeah Mar- so marsh i was just double checking martian's been on the ice for like a little over a month now it's september 16th was his first day back on the ice after uh basically like four months i think off it he said it was the longest he had ever been off the ice yeah mm. and he also said when he first came back that it was like trying to learn how to skate all over again because he's got two new hips. So it was, it was definitely harder for him, the skating part because his is lower body, whereas McAvoy's upper body. Yeah. Okay. So, so it was more mid September than I thought it was, I thought it was um, towards the end of August, but 
either way, um, I, I, when they get back into the lineup, I, I think they I, – I don't, I don't think it will take them more than a game to just kind of get back into the swing of things. And that doesn't mean that they can't, you know, hit the score sheet in that first game. But to a man, they, they, but they'll only need like a, a game, I think, to really feel because because of the scheme that they've been doing before they get into the lineup. Yeah. And by the way, like as much as I think Martian's timeline remains the same because no one's really said differently, it really wouldn't surprise me at all if like November 12th, all of a sudden Martian's in the lineup. Like, yeah. he, cause he's just, he's always been like a freak when it comes to recovering from injuries. Like, remember, um, was it last year where, uh, what was the injury? I forget what the injury was, but, we all thought like, oh, he's gonna miss like at least a week, and he played the next game. Yeah, it was against Washington. I think it was uh, Garnet Hathaway or something. Yeah, yeah. Was it shoulder? It was yes. Like, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it was like, oh, he was in so much pain, and he even said like, yeah, like I, at first I thought I was gonna miss time, and then I woke up like on Friday and I felt okay, and then Saturday morning I was like, I'm ready to play. <laughs> yeah, I mean his his pain tolerance and and. He's a, he's a warrior. I mean, I, I also th- think there was a game last year where he got high sticked by uh, again against Washington. I think it was I think it was Nick in the nose, Dowd. right? He was Nick Dowd broke his nose, and I think he scored a goal in, in the crease. <laughs> actually, it may have been actually I think, I think it was a top shelf for a shot in the power play, but score like the next shift. I think that was the time he said he would rather have gotten hit in the nose than in his teeth because he's got a beautiful smile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, he's he's a different breed. I mean, I'm just looking at. I'm looking at their schedule and they have some games in November. I feel like he's going to want to play in like they got Tampa on November 21st. They got Carolina, the 25th Tampa again, the 29th avalanche on December 3rd uh, Vegas, December 5th, Colorado again, December 7th. So they they have a pretty t- really tough schedule um, the latter half of November into December. And I feel like, Marshan's not going to want those games to be his first games. If he's going like, to want to be revved up for them, so he might she might try to get back there earlier to be ready for those games. Well, and um, my my last thought on McAvoy is just that the the fact that him and Grizzlick had the exact same procedure done and Grizzlick was able to get back earlier means they are probably both going through like working with the same trainers, working with you know the same um medical staff and everything to try to get this done right. And the fact that we see Grizzlick recover quicker than than first thought i feel like mcavoy is probably on a similar track how much earlier did matt get the surgery than, than mcavoy? they both got them yeah. done the same day yeah oh, they were really? different procedures though they weren't the exact same well it was the same injury off. was it not uh, on opposite arms i believe it was the same but on opposite arms and mcavoy's was was projected to be out like a, a few weeks or a month longer but it's I mean they're both shoulder they're both shoulder surgery is done by the exact same surgeon. Hmm. Well, his timelines his timeline. So if Scott's looking it up, you can chime in, Scott, when you find something on it. But either way, um, they seem to be they seem to be on track. They they certainly don't seem behind schedule. So we can we can we can we can we can say that definitively. They're they're either going to be when they said or or sooner. Yeah, um, so Grizzlick was a right shoulder open stabilization procedure, and McAvoy was a left shoulder arthroscopic stabilization procedure. And guys, I got to tell you, I have no clue what the difference is. Uh, yeah, I just figured 
to me, those sound like the same thing. So <laughs> that's, you know, my, my, uh, doctor skills are not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust me to do the surgery. So, um, <laughs> I do think my point still stands. I'll still I'm stick surprised. with it. I'm surprised you, you don't know the difference over there, Scott MD. <laughs> We've said before we need a doctor on the podcast, maybe yeah, a doctor guest, but um, hopefully we don't need any more. Hopefully, but you know, at some point, eventually, injuries will the injury bug will come back most likely, as they always as it always does. All right, so let's uh, let's let's briefly touch on the, on the game that was uh, some of the key highlights from it. the The Bruins opened the scoring on a on a power play goal, which I want to say was their third power play of the period to that point later in the first it was a uh, one patented david pashnak one-timer textbook like can't you couldn't place that shot any better um only so many players can make that shot i think he's one of them obviously and a guy named ovechkin and maybe a guy named stamkos but man i think that was a- like about as perfectly connected as you can get on a one-timer like that was just like that was that was barreling up a hundred mile an hour fastball and like hitting it four hundred eighty I mean, feet. Like from that, the, from the time it from the time it hit his stick to the time the puck was already out of the net, it was it was less than a second. It was it was insane. Absolutely. Yeah, it, and it was did, like, so a really, fast. The puck was doing like a really cool spinning around the net. Like it. Yeah. So yeah, now it, so open to scoring. Good, great, glad, wonderful. Um, but I did want to talk about the the zone entries in the power play. We touched on that in the past. They've they seem to have gone away from the from the trailer and just leaving it. And they they kind of came up the ice in in unison today when entering the zone in the power play. And it seemed to bring them a little, little bit more success and some better zone entries today. Yeah, I also thought the the now not to like take credit away from the Bruins because you're right, like they were better entries. They're they were better spaced. But I thought the stars. PK seemed like kind of passive at the blue line. Like they were, they were giving them quite a bit of space, especially to the outside, which I just thought, like, I don't know if that's just their styles. Like they're just going to keep it compact towards the middle and, you know, not worry. Like if you take it to the outside, but given like some of the issues the Bruins have had, I would have thought they would have taken like a more aggressive approach, but and Regardless. also given the fact that some of those guys can score from like right outside the circle and like Pasternak can score from there if he, if he gets it, you know, with enough space. So. But yeah, regardless, Bruins kept it clean. Like weren't, they weren't sloppy. They weren't, you know, going lateral when they needed to be going forward. Like crisp passes, um, not trying to, go through guys, you know, taking, just kind of taking what was there. So uh, encouraging nonetheless, even if I wasn't, uh, wasn't really blown away by Dallas's PK. Another thing that I took away from their time on the power play, which like you mentioned, Brian, that was their third power play of the first period. They were, they ended up on the power play quite a bit though. One of them was abbreviated because they took a penalty. Um, was how DeBrusque played on the power play. So Montgomery decided to stick with DeBrusque, I think, every on the first unit. I'm pretty sure all the power plays today. Um, he had been kind of rotating DeBrusque and Taylor Hall for that net front job, but DeBrusque really did a good job 
out in front of the net today screening uh you know there at, at one point i thought maybe he had gotten uh the goal because he looked like he had gotten a stick on it maybe but nope pasta beat Ottinger clean um but he was doing a really good job out in front of the net he always had a stick in the right position always kind of standing a little bit in front of the goalie impeding what was going on i think i think he's taken over that role um and he's done it well well, he played it really well for the Bruins a few years back. Um, I want to say 2018, 19, the year they went to the finals. Uh, the year before that, he he was it was Krug, Marshan, Pashnak, Bergeron, and the Brusk was your top unit. And they were one of the better units in the league for a couple of years, and he excelled in that role. Then he had, you know, he hit his hit his troubles the last few years and kind of found himself not not in that spot regularly. But I would agree he's done a he's done a good job. I, I do think that he uh, he passed up a few chances to put the puck towards the net today. Um, he's deferring a little bit to Bergeron on the bumper. I'm talking when he's when, when he's not behind the net when he when he finds himself in that right circle when he when he when he creeps up to the right circle he uh, he tries to, he tries to thread the needle a bit to Bergeron and and um, sometimes it's just better to kind of get it to the net and see what happens. But um, aside from that, I thought he was fine. I think that. I think that he had a relatively quiet night overall, well, along with a lot of the Bruins forwards. We mentioned, may have been, may have been off air, the pretty quiet night for the fourth line. Kind of, yeah, kind of everybody. Um, I mean, the Krejci line obviously came through with the um, ultimate ultimate game-winning goal on what was a long shift for both teams, but they were able to break through there at, at even strength when, when Pashnak found Hall uh, with the cross-seam pass. But aside from that, I thought it was pretty quiet. I thought Trent Frederick had that one chance in the slot in the second period when they were up one nothing. I, I don't know how he missed the net. Yeah. I don't know how he missed the yeah. net on that. Hit the post. Yeah. But he had a, a big chunk of the net to shoot at. Um, and that yeah, was when I'm... McAvoy was in the booth. Then McAvoy started freaking out like, oh, my God. Originally, I thought Ottinger like, got like the tip of his blocker or a stick on or something and yeah, then on replay, it turns out, yeah, he just just flat out missed. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought Charlie Coyle had a strong game, but I just didn't think that there was a ton of chances for the Bruins offensively as as a whole. Yeah, I thought I thought that line had a few good tone setting shifts: Coyle, Frederick, and Smith, where they were in on the forecheck and they were able to maintain possession and kind of pin pin the stars in, but. They didn't turn it into into scoring chances and and it wasn't really it didn't really lead to momentum where like the next line would follow it up and keep you know the cycle going or anything. It, it was just it, overall it was just like a disjointed offensive effort. Yeah, the the one the one good thing that um you could take out well not the one good thing but um like the an overarching thing that you can take out of it that's positive something that Montgomery talked about after the game is the fact that. First of all, you know, it was a close game. They end up winning. But also, there was a one-goal game that they, in the past, a few games had ended up having to go to overtime. They weren't able to defensively, um, you know, win it in regulation. They gave up something late. And this time in the third period, they were able to lock it down and, and you know, finish it off in regulation. So that was something they weren't able to do two other games. And, and now they're able to... I guess, work through those issues and, and figure out a way to do that. Yeah. And I think that 
I think that Dallas had some chances to to capitalize, but I, I think the Bruins got a little bit lucky in a few few circumstances where Dallas had some point blank chances, but it just kind of went off a leg or something like that. But that's what happens when you have defensive commitment from 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 all five guys and you kind of collapse in the middle. And when you play that way, yeah, you'll block some shots, sometimes unintentionally intentional. But the Bruins found a way. And over the course of 82, it's it's you're not going to look back in April and be like, oh, yeah, that was kind of an ugly win against against Dallas. That was kind of an ugly win against Anaheim. doesn't matter. They're, they're collecting the points and at a, at a rate higher than anybody else in the league right now. And, and they're, they're sitting atop the standings. And, um, you know, David Pashnak, as we said earlier, he got an assist on the Taylor Hall goal in addition to his own goal. So he's at 12 points tied for the league leading points early on, but um, everybody seems to be pulling their weight and it's gotten them to this point so far. And by the yeah. way, for the standings, uh, Char- uh, Golden Knights are losing. They were they were tied with the Bruins going into today. Both of them had 10 points, but right now the Knights are losing to the Sharks. I mean, the game's not over yet, but that's who they're – in the whole league, that's who's closest to them. Yeah, the, the President's Trophy race between – the Bruins and Bruce Cassidy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think at last glance Calgary Calgary is up there too, but yeah, and and, and also St. Phil- Louis winning percentage wise, but they had like they had the Bruins schedule from last year where they were getting like a week off between games for some reason. Um, yeah, and uh, Phil Kessel Iron Man, by the way, another Golden Knights. That's right. Uh, yeah, uh, point officially today. broke the record uh, Tuesday night. Yeah, last year last year was interesting because you know how they always say if you're in the playoff race by no, by Thanksgiving, it's kind of the similar feel that's it. That's there in April, but last year, the Bruins only had three games played by Thanksgiving. So it was kind of tough <laughs> to at that point. Um, yeah. And by the way, I'm Pasternak off to points wise, his second best start of his career through seven games with the 12 points. The only season he had more, uh, he had 13 points in seven games, uh, 2019, 20, which was of course his rocket Richard season. Yeah, and I think I think he was on pace for like easily 110 plus yeah. points that year if it wasn't for the the last 12 games being canceled. Yeah, I think he I think he ended the year with that set. I think he I think he had like 96 or seven points with 12 games left. I, I kind of forget. maybe maybe he even had 100. I don't really know, but regardless, no, he he ended up just short. He was just short of 50 goals and just short of 100 points. It's also the best start that Hall's had in a, in a while too, since like. The year I think it was the year before he won the the Hart Trophy when he had that incredible like ninety something point year. Um, so it's been I want to say like the was it the two thousand sixteen seventeen season or something since Hall started out as strong as he did uh, this year, goals wise. Yeah, yeah. Pashnak had ninety five points in seventy games before uh COVID shut him down yeah Bridget it's a um it's a good start for Taylor Hall and he had like we said earlier um not in this podcast but earlier podcasts he had a bit of a slow start I mean obviously he scored in the first game against Washington but um yeah he seems to be three goals in his last three as I I saw you right on Twitter so he's he's starting to feel good and they're, they're they're gonna need him to uh any other takeaways that you guys wanted to discuss tonight no I mean we briefly touched on him earlier but Linus Allmark just great again. And, you know, we know Swayman's going to get into one of these games Thursday, Friday, where they have another back-to-back. But, um, you know, might 
it's not going to be this overwhelming of a split towards Elmark all year. Even if he continues to play this well, like they'll they'll balance it out a bit at some point. But I, you know, can definitely see them for first month or you know two. Like you could see Elmark getting you know sixty to seventy percent of the starts. Um, but obviously, that they, they would love to get Swayman going as well at some point here. I have a few little points that in case people missed um, either today or throughout the week. So um, I don't know if you guys caught Neely talking pregame, um, but Cam Neely was on the the pregame show on Nesson, um, and he was asked about Felino and DeBrusque, and those are the answers that uh, you know I thought stood out at least. And he said. Um, Felino told him he'd be better this year, and he is, so he's happy with Felino so far. And also he said about DeBrusque, uh, he's competing a lot more for pucks, and his confidence has grown. So he was he took some time to compliment the starts both of those guys had as well. Starts being the key word, right? So they need to keep that consistent throughout the season for – those promises to to be to be made good on right um it's great that it's great that jake has had that game against florida it's great that he's been off to a good start but the knock on him has always been consistency so if he can be consistent then he won't hear a peep out of me this year same goes for nick felino bit of a lower bar for him offensively than jake debrusque but you know they both have gotten off to great starts respectively so to cam neely's point so far, so good. Um, and then one other thing that I thought was funny from this week that I don't think we brought up was after last game, the Anaheim game, uh, someone asked Coach about, they said, like, oh, what would you think of Connor's game or whatever? And he goes, who's Connor? <laughs> he's like, And they're like, he's like, Clifton? And then, and then they're like, yeah, Connor Clifton. He's like, I'm just still learning people's full names. He's like, I didn't know Smitty's full name was Craig Smith till today. So like he he was making a joke about that. Yeah, I I can relate because I'm also not great with names. Like I I have to meet people like a few times before I usually remember their name. Um, What's my name? Jim Montgomery, I think, is not good with names. No, uh, I don't think so. Like he was because so I asked him the question on Monday, um, just like completely off topic. But you know we we've heard in the past about like how Boston coaches all kind of. Like, get stay in touch with each other or bounce ideas off each other or whatever. And I asked him like, you know, have you had any of those conversations or, you know, met any of the other coaches and he hadn't yet, but he said he wanted to, he like had a chance recently to meet Bill Belichick, but had like other plans. So he has to try to reschedule anyways. But then he referenced uh, the Celtics general manager and didn't say Brad Stevens. And it was like, I feel like that's like that's what you do when it's like at, at, he knows who Brad Stevens is because he was talking about like how he's like read stuff about you know his time at Butler and whatever. But you could tell like there's the a name bit of wasn't up. in your head just in that exact moment of like I'm not gonna say the wrong name here, so I'm just gonna <laughs> say Celtics GM. Well, like a like a bad poker player, we all now know Jim Montgomery's telltale sign. If he doesn't know your name, he's going to call you Tiger. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I also think he's probably Jack Edwards probably gave him the lowdown on everybody's names because Jack has been butchering names left and right this year uh, on the Bruins and off the Bruins. And oh, he had I another. Love Jack, I love Jack, but it's it's getting a little bit um, a little bit too noticeable. 
and he also had a one-liner today that was uh like a like a post-it stamp he would have licked it on the way by it's just it's just not good i mean i, I think on the gold call today like the the passionate gold call he's like Krejci to Lindholm to Krejci to Lindholm. Great of oh, Pasternak, Pasternak squats. Oh boy, Brick, that's the day it is. It's like Jesus Christ, buddy. Scott um, couldn't hear because Scott's TV was all sorts yeah. of effed up. Yeah, the 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 seat that I've had the garden for the last. So like we all have we have like TVs like under our little desk area, work area, and mine has been like having a. a complete like seizure uh for like a week now where it's if i like if i looked at it i think i would have a stroke it just like flashes all game long so i have to put my computer right over it but yeah uh, you can't look at his computer i mean his tv garden that td garden reception is tough Um, well you never know it's like it's like you gotta punch the jukebox like that's what scott has to do to the tv um, fonzie style yeah, Fonzie style. He's just as cool as the Fonz. <laughs> Bridget, also, can you do me a favor? Can you can you talk with uh, your pals over at Nesson because the 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 games are not good on Nesson. I I've been saying for years, for whatever reason, the cameras that they use at Nesson, even though they're HD, the Bruins all like the, their colors and their opponents look duller on the Nesson feed than they do on like the national broadcasts and other local broadcasts. Like when I see Bruins highlights from like in other markets, TV feed, like Nesson has like a weird dull feed. A B the, the cameras are having a difficult time following the action on the ice. Like, like they'll be breaking the puck out and like the camera will just like stay in the D zone, like half a second long which doesn't sound like a big deal, but it kind of is because that makes a big difference in hockey. So like the production team needs to pick up their shit. I think they're still in summer mode, but I don't want to get me and Scott, me me and Scott will just take over. We'll just get on camera. We'll we'll shoot it around. I know I'm not, I know I'm not the only one that's noticed this. I mean, people have been all over Nesson, but it's just the, the production of the Bruins games have just, they just haven't been great. And not, maybe it's not just Bruins games, maybe Red Sox games too, but baseball is different because it just stays stand still. But like with hockey, it's just the pictures not. It's just not as bright as other uh, broadcast uh, stations. See, Brian, hey. we see it in person, so we see it in full color. But you guys watch. But even if you watch road games at home, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. You get that. It's night. very vivid and, and real. Yeah. At least Nesson is sending people on the road this year, so you know, one yeah. one battle at a time. Well, and they there, hi- and they hired me to do it. <laughs> What's that? Well, is there anybody not doing that at this point? Uh, probably not. I don't know if if, if everyone's back full time on the road, but yeah, I don't think there's anyone who's like remote it's just, only. It's just point. every everything everything about yeah. Nesson is just like it's a boring broadcast. Like the the score the score box is like a little black score box in the corner, which like I get it. They're trying to be minimal, and not distract from the game, but it's like get a little color in the score box. Like it used it used to be a much better broadcast. They've gone downhill. That's just my little rant on Nesson, but um, you know, Brian wants a brighter, flashier ticker at the bottom of the screen. I I, and, I just I wouldn't pop, like pop the saturation. I just wouldn't I just wouldn't mind a little something something. It's like I feel like I'm I don't know. It's hard to explain. I think I think people might know what I'm talking about, but it's just it's it's a little lackluster. It's a little lackluster. But this anyway. is what this was in lieu of a fashion segment, I guess. Yeah, well, this is more important than the fashion segment because how many of the games are on Nesson out of the 82? Like 75 of them? 
so maybe 70 so it's just a little it's a little annoying anywho um that's for that, that's that's my that's my ted talk on Nesson. so uh, I, I take it you guys are probably all set at this point so the the if you, you'll, you'll be listening if you're listening to this on wednesday the bruins play at the garden tomorrow night they host the red wings and then the what we'll call typical scheduled loss the second of a back-to-back including travel in columbus on friday so if the bruins can sweep these two games that's a pretty impressive feat considering what i just said but um yeah do you have any thoughts on that no but i did want to say by the way like any anyone listening who's who's stuck it out to the end where aware that there's been an issue with like some podcasts not getting to different places so uh know know that we we've reported that and hopefully it gets fixed so if you've had to listen uh, a different way uh we appreciate you know a little extra effort yes and scott will be tweeting out a verbatim transcript of every episode so if you can't hear it you can read it <laughs> all all 60 minutes of us um but anyway thank you for listening and we will talk to you guys soon mm-hmm.